0: I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, November 7th, 2021, and this is episode 145 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is that I finished my revisions a little bit early. So I have these two manuscripts that are due to two different editors on Monday, tomorrow. And uh, yeah, Friday, I was done. I was actually done with Savage City last Monday. And then I was thinking I would let it sit uh, for a couple days. And I actually put it on my Kindle. And I started to read it. And I was like, I don't I don't have the necessary distance to read this right now. Again, I was going to do another read through. So I decided I would just do the read through after the copy edits. So I'm sending it to my freelance copy editor either today or tomorrow. Um, I I did read the first chapter and I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is the right first chapter. And so that was when I was like, maybe I just need some time away. I will let the copy edits happen. And then I hate editing after copy edits, but... um, I, 'cause I, I was just gonna cut the first chapter and then like put some of that stuff in chapter three, because it's alternate, it's dual perspectives. Um the first chapter is I think it's beautiful, but I don't know if it's the right hook. And I'd had this thought before and I kept it and I I realized that I should have cut it when I had the thought. It's like follow your gut. Your intuition says this is a beautiful first chapter. It's beautiful words, the it's you know, I'm doing I think I'm doing good work there. But it doesn't feel like the opening to the book. Chapter two feels like you read that first, you know, the free sample on Amazon or the other retailers, and you're more, it's a more of a hook. It's much more hooky. So making a big change a few days before sending it to the copy editor is not a good idea. I think it's a slightly worse idea than actually just make the changes after I've had a few weeks off from it and I have to go through and accept the copy edits anyway. I also uh, basically finished *The Monsters We Defy*. Like basically, no, I did. There was sort of one outstanding comment from my editor that I don't know what to do with. Like, I can see she has a point, but it's sort of a structural issue. And um, I was I was just looking through structurally how this book works, um, and by that. I have worksheets, so I'm a big fan of worksheets and spreadsheets, and one of my paper worksheets, which is also a spreadsheet, sometimes I like to work on paper and sometimes on the computer, it's a save the cat beat worksheet. And um, it's on my website if anyone is interested on the resources for writers section. And so I wanted to know where the beats were. And and these are an older version, like I, I made some big changes. To it to the story during revision, but it was my original idea of the beats, and uh, then I downloaded a worksheet from Jamie Gold's website, which she has all these spreadsheets too. Another spreadsheet queen, and she gives a lot of them. They're wonderful, and her spreadsheets allow you to put in the word count of the book and see when the beat is supposed to happen. So, a um, hundred thousand words is three hundred sixty-five pages, let's say, and so. All is lost should happen on page, you know, X, Y, Z. And so the feedback from my editor was that towards the end, the last 60, 70 pages of the book should be erased toward the end, which I agree with. And I went back to my original Save the Cat beat sheet, which is the structure. And I had put in something for the All is Lost moment, which is one of the beats from Save the Cat. Early on, I decided I didn't want to do that. I had sort of contrived a whole thing, um, a whole sequence of events to fit the beat. And I was like, the only reason this stuff is here is to fit the beat, and I don't think it's right for the story. So now I have a story that feels more organic, but it's not in line with the beats. And there's two ways of thinking about that. I think that intuitively, intuitively, a lot of people respond to the beats. A lot of times, when you feel a certain way about a story, it's because it's not structurally sound, or it doesn't fall into the structure that we're used to stories falling into. And you know, so many of the successful stories do fall structurally. Right at fifty percent, you have the midpoint. You have that mirror moment that James Scott Bell talks about in "Write Your Novel from the Middle." You know, right at the proper percentage, you have the all is lost. I think it absolutely is possible to have successful stories that don't follow the structure. And I'm and Dune, the movie Dune, the most recent one comes to mind. Cuz that that movie is kind of a structural mess. Um you know, you have this the climax happens in the middle of the book and it takes a long time and then the end like the third act is relatively quiet. It's like a survival story and then the actual quote-unquote climax of the movie, the thing at the end of the movie, where usually you have the big fight, is a sort of a fight, but it's not as big as the thing that happened before it. And it sort of fizzles, you know? And and yes, he's doing half a book. Um I watched a really interesting YouTube video about the movie Dune with some suggestions about how the structure could have been shored up a little bit, because I do feel like a lot of people people respond to that movie in different ways. and But for me, even though I loved Dune, I recognized while I was watching it that the structure is way off. And that dissatisfaction you feel at the end is partially because it's only half a book and partially because of the way the structure is, that you're expecting things from having watched all these movies and read all these books that you don't get. And yet, and still, I did love it. So while I think... My editor is right. The structure is off. So in Word, the the manuscript is 369 pages and Act 3 starts on page 311. And I think if the structure was sound, it would start a lot earlier, like 275 or something. And I remember struggling with this issue with Act 3 and the all is lost moment specifically. And talking to my friend, um, you know, about this thing where I, I had created this whole sequence just for the beats. And it felt like a distraction. It felt like it didn't have anything to do with what I was really trying to do with the story. And I didn't want to put something that was only there to satisfy a beat sheet, you know. And my friend agreed with me. It was like, yeah, you, you know, I do think that the third act, even though it's relatively short, I think it works really well. I think it fits everything. It fits the themes and the character arcs. I mean, there's still like a big battle. There's still like that big fight. I'm not saying it has the same problems as a Dune, at least in my mind, probably has other problems. But um I understand what my editor's saying and I actually agree with it. But without tearing apart everything and building up something different, I can't address that. Sometimes when you're doing edits... And, and, you know, the editors that I've had have all been like, you know, these are suggestions. You don't have to take them. Um, this is what I saw. And I and I take the feedback as I've identified something that feels right, that feels wrong. Um, and, you, you know, it's up to you to figure out how to fix it. Sometimes I'll give suggestions. Sometimes those suggestions will be helpful. Rarely are they the exact thing in the exact place. But she's identified a thing that, that hit her wrong, that feels it feels wrong to her. And I think, you know, 80, 85% of the things I I was able to address, there were a couple of things where I was like, yeah, I think you're right, but that would take me off course. You know, I would, revision at this stage is like, you have a complete puzzle, one of those thousand piece puzzles. And then someone gives you like five extra pieces to fit in. And you're like, whoa, this puzzle is done. <laughs> How do I fit these extra pieces in? And you know, you work and and you do it, but maybe there's one or two pieces you, you couldn't fit in. You fit in three of them, you couldn't fit in the other two, without it being a different puzzle. And so, responding to editorial feedback is 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 like that. It's it's. I love being edited because I think it makes me stronger. I, it identifies my weaknesses, my blind spots that I can't see. Um. I was going to write this tweet and I haven't written it yet. Maybe I will. But I think I got this book down to only one head shake per chapter. Like people are always shaking their heads in my books, you know, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's confusion, you know, like they're always shaking their heads and she highlighted all of them. I was like, oh, that's a lot of head shakes. So things like that. Um, there are other repetitious things that I do that I guess are just authorial ticks of mine that I need someone else to point out. So I'm done with that until I get copy edits on that book, and that'll be a, a few weeks, a month or two. I don't know exactly when they'll come, but it's good. I'll have some more space away from it. Um, I can always make a few more changes during copy edits. Like like I said, same thing. I don't like to do it. I know plenty of author friends who make big changes during copy edits. I had never have. Um, so it's a thing that can happen. It just makes me really nervous because I'm not the best with commas and. I love having a copy editor, and I don't want to make changes and then introduce a lot more errors into an edited book. Yeah, we'll see what see what she says about that. So that is a big weight off of my chest uh, to have those two manuscripts send going off into the world into their respective editors, and um, focusing on the next three things I have to do this month. So the first that I need to tackle is this short story for the time travel anthology. 5,000 word short story. I think I'm just going to pants it. Like I've got kernels of ideas. You know that we're in dangerous waters when I say I think I'm just going to pants it. Like red flags should be going off in your mind everywhere. Like that is not a thing that Leslie should do. I don't even know why I said that. Like I've been thinking, oh, I should pants it. It'll be freeing. It will be. And sometimes it is. Like it is. But. I also have like a month to do the story, so maybe not the best idea. Yeah, so I'm going to have to do a new schedule for these uh, these three projects and try to get as much done because I know monsters copy edits are going to come back, the copy edits for Zapper City are going to come back, and I'm going to have a lot to do. But at the moment, I feel very, very happy and and free. I, I don't. I can't read those stories yet. Like when I was trying to read Savage City, I was like, okay, I'm still too close to it. I'm still unreliable. That's why I don't need to make that decision about the first chapter in this headspace. So give me three, four weeks and that distance, and then I will be able to look at it with semi-fresh eyes and make a more reliable decision. But yeah, I'm excited. Um, I was doing some research for this one line (laughs) one line of dialogue in Monsters. And, you know, this book takes place in 1925. So I, I had this character sort of make a and dig. It was like a loving, like, suggestion about another character's hair. So it led me down to research rabbit hole because I didn't like what I had in the, for that line. It felt too modern. And I wanted to make sure I was like, when was hair conditioner invented? When did people, well, not just invented, but when was it commonly used by Black people? Sometimes with historical stuff. You can find, oh, well, you know, so-and-so invented this in 1865. Well, that's all well and good. But when did Black people start using it? You know, because you'll find, like, the the general history. But you have to filter it through the culture and the deprivations and, and a Black person in a specific area. And that is a whole different thing. So my research took me to Annie Malone. Who was the like the predecessor of Madame C J Walker, but you don't hear about her, um, and just some really interesting facts about her hair care empire. Madame C J Walker actually worked for Annie Malone before she started her own thing, and arguably stole some things from her. I don't know, but uh, you know, you just find out these these interesting historical facts. Um, she had Annie Malone had like thousands of workers of sort of like Mary Kay, where these women would sell these beauty and hair care products, and they'd be agents of hers. She had this, you know, big empire millionaire, big buildings. Um, So yeah, these these cool details. And then I was able to find something to use for my line of dialogue, which was the point of this exercise. But it sparked off all kinds of other ideas. And, um, you know, I'm still idea gathering for this new book, uh, the, the second orbit book, And I was like, ooh, what if one of the characters was a Poro agent, which is what they were called, like the Mary Kay sales lady. And I don't know if that's going to end up in the book, but, you know, you find out these cool details that you want to put somewhere. And, you know, that would be interesting because I'm thinking this character, you know, maybe she travels. Maybe she's, I don't know who she is. I haven't met her. I'm trying to bring her into focus. You know, she's this very blurry figure. And it's like, oh, is, is this what she is? Is this what she is? I'm not sure yet. And what usually happens is something I will be researching or I'll be reading something or not even just research. I, I'll be filling the well in a variety of ways. Research is one of the ways to fill the well, but also just consuming media, watching a movie, reading a book on something completely different. And then the light bulb will burst right above my head. <laughs> Um, and everything will click and I will know. And uh, and I feel like I'm getting closer. I'm like unraveling different layers of what the story could be. But I've always had that sort of click moment. And that's just what I'm waiting for. And that's one of the reasons why it takes time to kind of generate the story. If I don't have the story idea, which is a fully formed character, and I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> like my story ideas don't come to me with fully formed characters. I will get a character sometimes, but there'll be various degrees of blurry. You know, sometimes I'll know one important thing about them and then the rest I have to discover. But there's always something that makes it click and then things come easier. Like it becomes a fixed point, you know, around which everything else has to orbit, you know, like Dr. Who's fixed points in time, you can't change them. So like, Jasmine, you know, I I saw a woman on a porch with a shotgun, and then the thing that clicked at some point early on was that she was a child of both worlds. She was biracial, and she, you know, was mistaken for one race and mistaken to because of that, she was mistaken for being in the country that she was not in. And then I had to figure out, well, why? How could they make that mistake? How do they know not? How do they not know what country they're in? And that came. You know, from that decision. So the fixed point was always: Jesminda is biracial, and she has power. And then I could make decisions off of that, knowing that this doesn't change. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking for that sort of nexus point of of character around which I can build everything else and make every other decision for. You know, once we have okay, Jesminda is biracial. She has magic. She is, you know, lives in this valley because I saw the valley, saw the isolated home. Every other decision from how she interacts with people, her attitude, you know, her her wound, her fears, all of that, all the character arc stuff, um, the world building stuff, it just radiates outward. So until I have some kind of fixed point, I'm sort of just swimming in the ocean of infinite possibilities. And yeah, it's just about narrowing things down in terms of idea creation and i'm i'm at that point with uh both of the short stories which is why i was like maybe i'll just pants it so i don't have to make any decisions cuz i i have i have fixed points actually for the the time travel story i have got the three characters when they came to me i knew it was a story about um so it's a time travel story with three real real characters or real people or fictional slightly fictional people from history so i have um Zora Neale Hurston, the Queen of Sheba, and Tatuba, who is from the Salem Witch Trials. And my initial idea is that Tatuba is about to be burned at the stake. And somehow these two tra- time-traveling women, Zora and Makeda, the Queen of Sheba, come and save her. And that's the beginning. They they have a purpose in mind. They're going to go on and have some sort of goal, which I don't quite know. Uh, yeah but fixed points. So everything else can radiate from there. And that's why it's sort of why I, I can pants it because I've got a little bit, although, like I said, pantsing in me, like, I'm just, I'm kind of torn because it's 5,000 words. So that is an, a situation where I think I can pants it, and just see what happens. And it might actually just be fun, a really good break after all of this hard, diligent work on these other two books that had to be carefully plotted. I also have this um, 10,000 word um, Farofeb anthology story, which is a fantasy romance that I've got a title. <laughs> the, the, the title is my fixed point because the title actually does indicate sort of what it's about. I'm doing a, I want to say a retelling of a fairy tale, but um, I'm inspired by a fairy tale. I don't know how much of a retelling it will be. I'm going to use some elements from a very well-known fairy tale and then change them. I've got, you know, my subconscious has been working on all of these things. I'm definitely not going to pants that. And, you know, 5,000 words, maybe 10,000, not so much, and of course, I need to be writing this this book proposal, which is the first 100 pages of this 1830s novel. And um, so that is going to be the rest of my month, the rest of my year. It's exciting. It's interesting. I'm, I love, I don't know, I feel like I should be a lot more scared, but I'm not at the moment. I'm just invigorated. If you're listening to this in real time, when this episode releases, this week, November 11th, 2021, at 9 p.m. Eastern, and 6 p.m. Pacific, I will be doing an online event with Kit Rocha um, at Mysterious Galaxy Books. I'm really excited about it. I hope that you can come if you are not in the future. <laughs> and I'll be in a conversation with them. Kit Rocha, who I love. I love their books. They've got the Mercenary Librarian series now, which is great. They're um, Beyond Books. I mean, I was reading them really early on in my romance reading journey. So the fact that I get to actually talk to them in person for the first time is really fun and amazing, and I'm excited about it. I also have an event on November 22nd with uh, Nicole Glover to celebrate her book, uh, the second book in her series. It's called The Undertakers. And that's at also 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. So definitely check out my calendar on my website for these events to sign up. Uh, They're both free. And I wanted to give a shout out to YouTube user uh, Sable Star, who commented on last week's video when I was talking about The Harder They Fall, the movie, and the, the issue with colorism. And um, they brought up a really good point that I had neglected to mention. So the, there was a controversy about Zazie Beats being cast as Steamboat Mary. And one level of controversy is that she is a light-skinned actress who, and the real person was very dark-skinned and a different body type also the second level of criticism that I did not mention was based on the idea of the love interest in a story being a light-skinned woman. And darker-skinned women are not as often cast as love interests. Um, And I saw some other tweet about, will Jonathan Majors ever have, you know, a a love interest who can pass the paperback test or fail the paperback test? Uh, Which is true. Like, um, you've got... Lovecraft Country with um, Jodie Smollett. And there's a real problem in in Hollywood with showing darker skinned women as desirable love interests. So that is actually something that I did notice. I just, I forget things. I, it actually did bother me when I watched the movie, like, oh, well, she gets to fall in love. Regina King's character, as amazing as she is, when I watched it, she's very loyal to um, the Idris Elba character. They're on the same, they're part of the same gang. You, there's a, a deep connection there, but there is not the hint of romantic love, which is fine. And actually, as, as a story point, it's actually very good. I liked that. Like every woman is not just there because she, this is her man and she's supporting her man. I think we need both. To, we need to see both things. But when, when you have the only, the only woman in a romantic relationship that you can see is light skin, you know, that's perpetuating this, this negative stereotype that that has a lot of ripple effects, you know and that is something that uh, beyond the accuracy casting issue is is just part of the the overall colorism issue in media in general. And so yeah, that's something that I definitely should have mentioned and I actually agree with. it did strike me as I was watching it. So I wanted to make an addendum to that. Also, for all of you Kate Stradling fans, the people who I've put on to author Kate Stradling, who is one of my very favorite authors ever, she has a new book out. It's called Guardian of Ruses. Um, It's the third in the uh, Ruses of Lenore series. So it's been a while since I've read those. I actually will reread them because it's Kate Stradling. I love everything that she writes. I recommend her all the time. She's a fantasy romance author. And if you haven't read her, pick anything. I would probably start with book one in a series. But Yeah. I actually, I would love to interview her. Like this is not an interview show. I've interviewed like two people total. I I might, I don't know. I would, I would just love to talk to her about her process and her books. So maybe I will just ask her and see. And And just, I can do interviews if I want. It's my podcast, right? <laughs> There's a reason that I don't, and it's not an interview-based show. But there is also a desire within me to kind of talk to people who I admire very much and see how, and pick their brains about things. So yeah, we'll see if I actually do that or not. And that's it for me for this week. Goals for the coming week. Uh, get an outline together for the 1830s book so that I can start fast drafting um, and do something with the short story. Either outline it or pants it, and I will let you know <laughs> if the red flags are warranted or if I just need some breathing room and, you know, I can, I can write 5,000 words in like a day or two, just fast drafting. So... Even if I pants it and it goes horribly wrong, it's not that much of a time commitment, and it might be fun enough that it's worth the hassle of 15 revisions that I will take. And I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfindshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.